Bible, and if you're there in first or in Luke chapter one, let's uh, talk about the visit this morning. The visit that uh, Mary has with Elizabeth, and uh, we're just going to kind of continue walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke over the next several months, maybe even up to a year or more, and and just see what the Lord has to say through this Gospel. And so we've been walking through it so far, and and we've seen jesus being foretold we've seen god come to meet with zechariah and tell him how his wife's going to have a baby and that's baby that son's going to be the forerunner to the messiah we looked in christmas eve we kind of jumped ahead a few uh, passages there and we looked at the uh, coming of jesus when he was born and the glory that uh, shone in the heavens there as the shepherds were brought in and told this wonderful news now we're going to back up if you will and see uh, this conversation, this visit that happens between Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, looking at this because the coming of Jesus changes everything, right? The coming of Jesus changed everything in, in history. It, it changed the course of human history. It changes the trajectory of our lives individually. If you think about when you came into relationship with Jesus, you're not who you once were. You're not that same person anymore. I love how Paul talks about it. He says that old things have passed me, and all things have become new, that you're a new creature in Christ. You've been changed. And so over the last two days, what has been happening around the globe is billions of people have paused. They've taken some time. They set it aside to remember, to reflect, and to revel in that glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus, his coming into this world. And so as we have paused with other brothers and sisters for these last few days we're looking back we're looking back at that moment we're looking back at when jesus came we're thinking about the blessing that he is and what he's done for us and hopefully he's done through us but the birth of jesus there in bethlehem as we see it unfold in the gospels it ushered in the kingdom of God. That's why we're looking at this gospel here. We're looking at what Luke writes in his gospel. And we're talking about it from the perspective of an upside-down kingdom. Because when Jesus enters the picture, the kingdom of God is coming with him. But it's a kingdom that doesn't necessarily make sense. It's upside-down in the way it uh, is portrayed. And so as we look here what's happening, just historically, uh, we know and we understand, Luke tells us, for instance, that Caesar Augustus is the emperor of Rome. His name, before taking the title of Caesar Augustus, was Octavian. And so you look at history, you're going to see both of those names there. Octavian took on the title of Augustus. He's the first Caesar to ever be referred to as Augustus. This was a title given to him by the Roman Senate. It was a title that up until this point had been restricted to the gods of the Roman pantheon. It was not a title that was given to humans. And so by assigning this title to Octavian, what the Roman Senate was doing here was taking a huge step forward in emperor worship. As we look at church history, we look at the history there in the early church and how it affected or was affected by Rome, we see that emperor worship became part of their worship practices. Uh, we see that in the book of Revelation quite clearly. 
And so Octavian, Caesar Augustus, is the first one to move in this direction. And it began to catch on. In fact, uh, around the time that Luke is pinning his gospel, writing the words that we're reading here, we see some of the Greek cities there in Asia Minor adopting Octavian's birthday, September 23rd, as the new, first day of the new year. They, they hailed him as the Savior. In fact, we could go and we could see the inscription at Halicarnassus where they inscribed there on a monument and called Octavian the Savior of the world. And so it's on that backdrop that Luke is projecting here the coming of the king. You've got an emperor in Rome who's declared by himself and everyone else that he is the savior of the world, and yet Luke is contrasting against that dark backdrop the real savior entering the world. And we know that's Jesus Christ. We know that he is the savior, and the other is the false savior. And so for two millennia, Christians have rejoiced in the blessing that Jesus is coming has brought to the world, the difference that he makes in our lives, the difference that he makes in culture itself. We could go back and look at all of the things that have happened because of the gospel, changing people's lives and working through the church. We can see that hospitals are are, are, are a thing today. They're in existence today because the gospel changed people's lives and the church wanted to minister to the sick and the broken. We can look at educational centers and we can see that that is largely due to the fact that Christians changed by the gospel believe that education could help people all because of what Jesus has done for us. And so today we look back on his coming with 2020 vision and we can see how the prophecies were fulfilled. We can see how people's lives have been transformed by Jesus. We can see how history has changed for the good because of Jesus. But as we read in these passages here in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we can see that Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary had a different viewpoint. They're looking forward. They've heard prophecy. They've had angel, an angel named Gabriel come and speak to them and say, this is what's going to happen in your life, and this is the reason for it. This is what it's going to do, and yet they're looking forward, and they can't see all of the things that are going to happen in the midst of that and all that it's going to transpire to be, and yet they believe God. They believed what God had revealed to them about this coming king, and they believed what God had said about this forerunner to the coming king, and this had been the hope of, peop of the people of Israel for generations. They were longing for a Messiah, and yet when the Messiah is now arriving, they're trying to make sense of it all, and yet God had always spoken of it. God had promised to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation through whom the nations would be blessed. How are the nations going to be blessed? It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus that the nations are going to be blessed. This hope was finding its fulfillment here in the Son that Mary is going to bring into the world. And so after Gabriel informs Mary of how her life was going to change, and, and you know, on Christmas yesterday and Christmas Eve, hopefully during this whole season, you have taken some time to pause and just think about that moment putting yourself in the shoes of Mary and, and what that news would have been like. Here she is hearing that she's going to give birth to a son, and yet she's a virgin, never known a man. How does that happen? You think of all of the things that would have went through her mind, all of the things that she would have thought of, all of the fears that would have crept in, and yet she believed God and walked in that faith. So after Gabriel informs her of how her life is going to change and how the Lord had done something similar in Elizabeth's life, Mary immediately wants to go and visit her cousin. 
She wanted to hear the story. She wanted to rejoice with her. And so these two women who had been graced by God come together and we see this visit taking place. I want us to look at this visit as we begin reading in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with, hate, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months, and Luke says she returned to her home. We read here in these verses about two women and two pregnancies. Now, on the surface, this is not a big deal. You say, well, you've never been pregnant. Well, you're absolutely right. I've never been pregnant. I don't identify as a pregnant woman, okay? I don't know what that's like. But two pregnancies and two women is a common thing. I, I just learned yesterday, one of our families is expecting. We have, thankfully, a, 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 young, a church that's growing younger all the time, and, and so it's becoming common around here where we have babies in the nurseries and babies in the womb, and we saw a lot of kids just go out. That's a good thing. It's normal. It's healthy. It's just a fact of life. And so with two women getting together and swapping stories, that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. And yet, this is a big deal. They have similar scenes here playing out in their lives. Both Elizabeth and Mary have experienced the miraculous in their pregnancies. Elizabeth is an older woman. In fact, if you take Zechariah's words literally, I think it does mean she's an old woman. Uh, she's advanced in years. He was smart enough not to say she's an old woman, but you know what that means. She's an old woman. She's beyond the years of bearing a child. In fact, her womb is not just beyond the age of bearing. It's barren. It's been barren. It's like a dry, crusty desert floor. It cannot have children. That was the situation. That was the state of Elizabeth. I don't know why we're laughing at that. That's just the Bible speaking, not me. It's what the word barren means. Mary, on the other hand, is young, most likely a young teenager at this point in, in, in that culture, in that day and age, and, uh, and the way families work, she would have been betrothed to a, a young man older than her, but a young man, and she would have been about 12 to 12 and a half years old when this takes place, and, and so here's a young virgin who's betrothed, engaged, but much more than the engagement we have today, and she has Joseph, she's going to be married to him soon, but she is not yet married, and all of a sudden, she has this encounter with Gabriel, he explains what's going to happen, and the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and the 
Lord Jesus is conceived in her womb. Not through some sort of sexual experience or anything like that. We talked about that. But the Spirit of God overshadows her and the God the Son, the Lord Jesus, is conceived in her womb. She hears all of this and she experienced this. Mary immediately, Luke tells us, rushes to visit Elizabeth. Now, there's a quite a distance between where she lived in Nazareth and where Elizabeth lived in Judah. And so she traveled three to four days, 80 to 100 miles south, to be with her cousin, Elizabeth, and to talk and to share about what God had done in both of their lives. They shared a bond that was much tighter than they had ever shared as cousins. They were soul sisters, if you will, now, in this divine plot to bring salvation to sinners. So through their birthing pain, through their challenges and the labor of love they're going to give, through mothering in this world, they're going to receive, the world's going to receive its greatest blessings, their kindred spirits. We read here in Luke's account that the soon, as soon as Mary entered Elizabeth's home, as soon as she greeted her cousin, the baby John leaped with joy in her womb. What a moment that would have been for Elizabeth. She's heard from Zechariah. She wasn't there in the temple when the angel met Zechariah and told him all this. But she's, she's believed it. She's experienced this miracle because up until this time, for decades, she's never been able to get pregnant. And all of a sudden, Zechariah comes home and says, babe, we're going to have a son. And all of a sudden, it happens. And so as soon as Mary comes through the door, as soon as she greets her, hears her voice, the baby within her leaps with joy. And this is not just a prenatal kick or a turning around. I remember those years. Uh, years ago, I remember those moments years ago when our, our three daughters are in the womb and growing within Kara, and you can see the little kick coming, and, and maybe the turnover. Many times I was looking for it. I'm like, where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? It's kind of like looking at a uh, uh, an ultrasound. Like, what does this mean for me? But there are moments where you'd see the protrusion coming up. Kara, of course, the mom, of course, can feel it, but sometimes we can see it on the outside. But this was different. The term here that Luke uses describes the skipping or the leaping of sheep in the field. So John leaps in her womb. Right here what we see is three months before John will ever see the light of day in the darkness of his mother's womb. This would be and soon to be prophet prophesized for the very first time. He's overcome with joy. You think about where he's at gestationally at this point. He, he, he's six months gestational in, in the cycle. He's six months old within the mother's womb. He's nine inches long. He's a pound and a half. And yet he looks like a human being, which let's not go. We don't need to go there this morning. But let's just say this for, for simple sake. A baby in a womb is a baby in the womb. Amen. It is a human being. It is life. And we see that in John. He's nine inches roughly long. He's a pound and a half. He looks like a human being. He has fingerprints. He has toe prints. He's able to feel pain. He's able to sense things. He's an emotional being. He's also a spiritual being. He's filled with the Holy Spirit at this moment. He leaps with joy. He's a baby, and he prophesies and affirms the deity of the Lord Jesus who is in his mother's womb. When the king enters, the forerunner leaps with joy. Elizabeth, too, Luke tells us, is filled with the spirit at the sound of Mary's voice. Her soul is elevated. So rather than greeting Mary in the familiar way that she would have as a cousin, 
just greeting her as another family member, an extended family member. Now she doesn't do that. Instead, she vocalizes her recognition that Jesus was the Messiah. She's the mother of my Lord, she says. She's recognizing that he is God incarnate, God in human flesh. She says, my Lord. It's a conscious allusion to the opening line of Psalm 110, which is a Messianic psalm. All of this is purposeful. All of this is because Elizabeth here, under the inspiration and the filling of the Spirit, is affirming that Jesus is not just an ordinary baby. He is God in the flesh. Mary doesn't even have to open her mouth and tell her, hey, this is what happened. I've heard something similar has happened to you. She doesn't have to do that because Elizabeth has heard from God and affirms this to Mary. This was a beautiful, beautiful moment. I'm sure Zechariah is kind of sitting there on the, I don't know if he's got the, launch, the, uh, the recliner and his feet propped up. I don't know what's going on there, but all of a sudden he's tuned in to what's happening. This is a moment in, between these two families. Elizabeth celebrates with Mary. She knew Mary was to be blessed or praised because she believed God and submitted herself to his plan. She also recognized that the son Mary carried was to be praised because he was not just an ordinary baby. Her faith would bring blessing and happiness to not just her own life, but to all people. And then in response to Elizabeth's affirmation, Mary sings this song that we see in verse 46 through 55. She sings this song. It's referred to many times as the Magnificent. It take, it's coming from the Latin translation of the first verse there in verse 46. Mary sings the rich truths about God. She sings about the hope that he gives to mankind. She is absolutely overwhelmed by God's goodness in her life, uh, her, his goodness on this humble servant. And this is how God acts toward the humble. This is how God acts toward the meek and the mild. She's overwhelmed by that. She sees herself as blessed. She understands that generations that come after her will also refer to her as blessed. Not because of she, she doing something great, but because God has done something great in her and is doing something great through her. She's a vessel. Just like you and I are vessels of God moving through us to minister to other people. God here works on behalf of his covenant people in response to his covenant faithfulness. So Mary here acknowledges her involvement as she sings this song she acknowledges her involvement and submits to god's plan of redemption not just to her but to humanity mary's visit with elizabeth and zechariah as we look at it, as we read it here it reminds us of something what i want to do this morning is i want to take a little different take than perhaps what you're set up to to, to understand this morning what we see in Mary going and visiting with Elizabeth and Zechariah is this reminder that God is working not just in your life, but in others' lives too. You see, God is working in Mary, but he's also working in Elizabeth. He's working with Mary and Joseph, but he's working with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And there are times when we need to remember this reality for ourselves. This is especially true when the Lord moves our hearts to step out in a new direction, step out in, in an area of, of faith, to just believe him for a, a, a new journey for our lives. And it's in those moments that we sense God leading us to say, to say yes to something or to take this new step, or maybe it's a new job or a, a change in location or uh, moving across the country, whatever it may be. We sense the Lord moving, and in that moment, fear has a tendency to 
step in. It grips our hearts. It works to impede what God wants to do in us and through us. So it's then that we need to hear how God is working in and directing other people in their lives. We need encouragement. We need an example to follow. And I think that's largely why Mary goes. If you remember what we looked at last Sunday, the angel Gabriel, when he's talking about how Mary's going to become pregnant and bear the Son of God, he says, hey, Elizabeth, your relative, is in her fifth month. I should say in her sixth month. Why does he say that? It's because Mary probably needed an example. This news is too great for her. She, she's overwhelmed by it. But if she could see an example that God is doing something very similar to someone else, it helps her in her own faith and encourages her because there's an example. This visit here instructs us in the necessity of the community of faith. It instructs us of the need for us to come together and be a part of the local church. See, if we want to see our faith grow in Christ we need to be in community with other believers. I say this all the time to folks. I don't believe you can grow in your spiritual walk with the Lord and do it on your own. You're not going to do that. You have to grow with other people. That's why we emphasize small groups so much here. We want you to take the next step. If you're in this worship service, that is awesome. That's good to sit under the teaching of the Word of God, but you need more than that. You need relationships, and you can't have relationships on a deeper level if you're only here in this worship service. You say, I know people here. I know their names. I, I say hi to them every Sunday. That's great, but you need more than just surface-level relationships, and you're going to get that through small groups. We are a community of faith. So thankfully in the church, what God does is he connects his people in a common hope. And it's in this community that we find two essential elements for growth that I want to just kind of point out here uh, that I believe are very evident in what we see in this passage with, between Mary and Elizabeth. First thing that we see in the community of faith is an affirmed faith. We find an affirmed faith as we come together in the community of faith. You know, the story here of this visitation uh, is a real-life account, account of how God sovereignly and graciously cares for his children. God didn't have to do that. God could have just sent Gabriel and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby boy, and it's going to be awesome, and God's going to do wonderful things, and so just go have a baby. But he doesn't say that. He says, hey, your relative Elizabeth is also having something else working through her life. Mary here has heard from God. She's excess, ex exercised faith on what she heard. And so she quickly wants to travel to Judah. She wants to see what God has been doing in her relatives as well. This similar experience. And so there in the home of Zechariah, there with Elizabeth, Mary was celebrated and she's strengthened by her cousin. Elizabeth affirms her in this step of faith. She affirmed God's plan for her life. Now, as we think about this, we do not know what might have happened if she hadn't have done this, uh, maybe step back from this for just a moment and think, what if Mary didn't go to Elizabeth's house? What would have happened? What would have not happened? We don't know. It, we, we, it's dangerous to even make assumptions there. Uh, what we do know is God is sovereign. God is sovereignly leading his people, right? He's leading Elizabeth. He's leading Zechariah. He's leading Mary. He's leading Joseph. We've seen this as we look through the gospel accounts here in this early stages. So God is sovereignly in control. And I believe the Holy Spirit's leading all of these parties. He's inspired Luke to give us this because we need to be reminded that our faith 
needs to be affirmed as well. So he sends Mary to Elizabeth's house so that her faith, her step out in what God's called her to do can be affirmed. And for you and I, we need that affirmation as well. We need God to come alongside or to bring people alongside of us to say, the step you're taking is the right step you need to take. Affirmation is what we receive as we come together as the body of Christ and in the body of Christ. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 25, that we're not to forsake the assembling of the brethren. Why is that so important? It's because we need the affirmation that comes from our fellow believers. I've said it from this platform. I, I say it all the time when we go through our connections class and just kind of talk about what it means to be in fellowship here as a, as a believer. But the Christian faith is not an isolated faith. Show me a Lone Ranger follower of God in the Bible. Call me a liar on that. You won't find it, right? You'll never find that. There's never a person that says, I heard from God, I'm going to go do what I want to do. No, you'll never find that. They're always in connection to the greater colony or the greater group of God's people, the community of faith there. Even, even Moses, God found on the backside of the wilderness, but he sends him into Egypt. But, but who does he bring alongside him? Aaron, his brother, and uh, his, Mer, uh, his sister, whatever her name was, Myra or Myrrh or something like that. Huh? Bailey? Mary. Is that her name? Really? Mary? I knew it was an M. It's one of those people. I hear lots of names, so we all, none of us know, right? None of us know. All means that we don't know the Bible in its entirety, but we know most of it, right? The Christian faith is not an isolated faith. That, that's hard for us to swallow. It sounds good on paper, but we're Americans, right? We're Americans. We like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We like to do our own thing. We kind of live by this John Wayne mentality, and I love John Wayne. He's one of our favorite actors of all time. I'm a Western guy. But we cannot live the Christian life as John Wayne, doing it our own way in isolation from other people. We're not called, we're not created for that. But instead, God has placed others within our path, on our path, to come alongside of us, just like he placed along Mary's path, Elizabeth and Zechariah. He connected them in this common hope, and together they shared and affirmed faith. So church, as, as a family... We gather for worship. We gather for small groups weekly. Why? Because we need our faith affirmed. We need that in our lives. We need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged. Hey, at times we need to be rebuked. Someone ought to be able to look you in the face and say, the way you're walking, the, the way you're living your life, it's outside the confines of what God has for you. We need that. Where are we going to get that but the church? We need our faith affirmed and challenged so that we can grow. And think about what opportunities come our way at times. Maybe you begin to sense the Lord moving you to, to make a, a move, to make a change on some level, uh, opening a new, a new door. How do you know if it's the Lord's will? Uh, that's a question that many times people will ask. How do I know the Lord's will? Well, many times I believe the Lord confirms it, obviously through his word, but through his people. As we begin to take that first step, as we begin to want to be obedient to this new leaning of our hearts, how do we know what to do? What's the right thing to do? The church helps to affirm that in our lives. We watch God move in others, and we're encouraged to take that step of faith, to 
see them on their journey. It helps us to step out on the journey God has for us. We find a second essential element also in this story between these two families. We see the, uh, the mutual faith or a mutual faith as an essential element in our spiritual growth. Think about this, if you will. Mary hurries to be with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Why? Because they believed and had experienced something very similar. There, there's something mutual going on between the two. Elizabeth is a, a, a barren woman who becomes miraculously pregnant, right? Mary's young. She's a virgin, but she miraculously becomes pregnant. There's a commonality there. There's a mutualness to their step of faith. No one else in Nazareth, no one else in Galilee or Judah or, or the Palestine area in general understood what had happened in these two ladies' lives. No one could come alongside them and say, I know what you're going through. Been there, done that. Yeah, Lord had uh, come to me, seen his angel, and all of a sudden I just miraculously got pregnant. No one could identify with what Mary was going through and about to go through like Elizabeth could. And so there's a mutualness to their faith. In fact, most people, when they heard the story or began to hear the rumors of what had happened in Mary, they probably criticized her. They didn't look at her and say, you are blessed of God. No, there's criticism there. They wondered why she was pregnant. That was, she was obviously not married, so how could she become pregnant? Most would not understand. Most would not believe the words that Gabriel had said to her. They would think she's crazy because as... John 146 tells us nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary finds a people, a, a, a couple here, who believe the things that she believed. She needed the reinforcement of their mutual faith. See, as great of a faith as she had, it was entirely possible for that young faith to falter. Without the help and the fellowship of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it could have faltered. In the same way as believers and followers of Christ, we need people to come alongside us and with a mutual faith encourage us and fan the flame. So we need to place ourselves deep within the fellowship of the church because it's there in fellowship that we share the experience of new life in Jesus. We share in the experience of living holy lives in a sin-stained world. It's the reason Hebrews 10.25 tells us to not forsake the assembly is because when we leave here in this gathering of God's people... We enter a world that is altogether different than what we should see here. We're to encourage one another, build one another up, so that we can live like heaven out there until we gather again in this place. It's in this we share the hope of Jesus' second coming. We need one another. You know, this time of year, of course, it's kind of warm these days. It doesn't feel like December when it's 70, 75 degrees outside like yesterday. Some of you are like shouting in the hallelujah chorus because you hate cold weather, but I like four seasons. And so when it's December or January, there's nothing more cathartic and soothing and stress-relieving than sitting outside around a campfire, right? Maybe it's in the woods because you're at deer camp. I mean, there, ain't, there, ain't, there can't get much better than that, right, Rudy? I mean, it's, that's glorious right there. Or maybe it's just you sitting in the backyard. You've got a fire pit. And, uh, and you just sit out there and you build a fire and, and you sit around, maybe you roast some hot dogs or some marshmallows or something, but you're just enjoying the heat, you're enjoying the warmth, you're enjoying the crackling of the logs around the campfire. But if you enjoy the campfire like I do, you watch it. 
And you probably notice that there are times when the logs kind of fall in a little bit and, and one will roll off, or maybe some will roll off. What happens to those logs when they roll off the fire? You ever thought through that? What happens to them? They were once inflamed. They were lifting up like all the other logs. The light was shining from them, but now they've rolled off and, and they're beginning to cool. Instead of being engulfed in flames, now they're just a smolder. You see smoke coming up from it. And if that log is off the pile long enough, it will really begin to cool. It'll stop burning altogether. That's what happens with us as Christians if we don't stay close to the fire of God's people. We can fall away. We can lose our heat. We can lose our, 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 the Spirit's flame that's engulfed within our lives. I don't think we should take the illustration too far to say we lose our salvation, but we lose our passion for the Lord. We lose our commitment to his word. We lose our commitment to living a holy life. It, because when we come together and we're challenged and encouraged and uh, around this mutual faith together, it helps us to burn hot for the Lord. But if we're out there doing it on our own, the things of this world will cause us to grow cold. It just will. It's a fact of life. That log that rolls off the fire naturally will become cooler but if you put that log back on the fire, it will naturally become hotter. That's what we see in here in this passage. Mary's visit with Elizabeth and Zechariah reminds us that God is not just working in your life. He's working in the lives of others as well. It reminds us that an isolated faith is not a Christian faith. We don't find a Lone Ranger Christian in the Bible but instead, what we find are believers who are walking in community with other believers, and it's good to be reminded of this reality. This really, I think I've told you before, this really kind of was seated in my heart many years ago as I was working through my dissertation. I was writing on small groups and, and just kind of looking at that from a biblical theological standpoint and, and just went back and started tracking everything that we see in scripture and what we see in the word of God is God is a community father son and spirit and he creates a people to be in community with himself and one another and even when sin in Genesis 3 alters all of that God still desires a community he desires to be in community with people and he desires to bring healing to the brokenness within community. And so he calls Abram to himself. And he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? A great nation is going to come from you. There's a people there. God gives his people laws and, 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 and a code of how to live and how to worship him. And that's never perfect there. But Jesus comes to bring healing to all of that. And the church is birthed. And we're still not a perfect people, but there is coming a day when Jesus will return. And the sin that we struggle with and the flesh that we live within that hinders our community with God and with one another will be put down and we will be made whole again. But all of that you see community. Community with God, community with one another. We need the encouragement and the example of others. We're just days away from the new year, 2022. I remember 22 years ago, we're sitting here. Some of you were not alive, but we were sitting around thinking, well, I wasn't, but there's was a lot of people thinking, we're not going to get to 2000. The world's going to end. All the computers are going to shut down, and we're not going to be able to eat. And so people are hoarding stuff. If you remember that, it's crazy. So for me to stand here in almost 2022 and look back, I'm like, wow, amazing things have happened in the last 20 plus years. And think about what's going to happen in 20 years from now. 2042, we're going to be like, 
Can you remember those COVID years? That's what we're going to be thinking. But a new year's dawning. And with a new year dawning, there's always hope for something better on the horizon. What's on the horizon for you and your family this next year? Have you thought about it? How's the Lord directing your steps? How are you going about taking those steps? What's the Lord put on your heart? What are you doing with that as you move into a new year? Are you going to plan to go on it, go at it alone, or are you going to do it in community with other believers? Maybe the Lord has a job promotion on the horizon for you. Maybe it's a purchase of a new house. Maybe it's your, your young family, you're thinking, we'd like to start a family, or maybe we want to add to our family, and you're thinking about having another child, or perhaps it's a myriad of other things. Regardless of the situation, here's what I would encourage you as your pastor. Don't walk through those steps on your own. Don't do it on your own. Do it in community with other believers. Invite them into this journey with you. You need their encouragement. You need their wisdom. You need them to challenge you. You need them to to speak truth into your life. Some of you in 2022, here's what you need to do. You need to recommit yourself to the community of faith. You look around like, I'm here on a Sunday after Christmas. I'm doing pretty good. Where's everybody else at? Um, I was kind of thinking that before we got the service. Like, is it going to be Ricky and me and three others? It was pretty, pretty light in here. And then some of you all came in. I, I understand. He gave you another, another hour, and you took full advantage of that. Good for you. But there are some people at Red Lane regular attenders and members, that you need to lean into your commitment to church. I I say this with love. I say this with grace. I say this um, just truthfully, just speaking into your life. Once every four to six weeks is not committed to God's people. Let's just be honest. But in the America that we live in today, that is in most people's minds considered, I'm a faithful attender. I'm I'm involved in the church. I don't think so. So I just say that with love. Maybe you didn't lean in there and get committed. Find a place to serve. Thankfully, we do have a lot of our folks who serve in some capacity using their giftedness. Actually, uh, we as elders, uh, we had some numbers pulled for us, and, and I literally thought, just looking at all of our areas of, of ongoing service, I thought we would be hard-pressed to find 50 of our members that were serving. You know how many we found? Close to 110 people that were serving regularly in our church. I was pleasantly blown away. Thank goodness, blown away. I guess I was the negative Nelly going into that conversation. But I was pleasantly surprised. It was awesome. So we have great people who are doing great things, but some of you need to lean in and recommit yourself to the Lord and and his people. Why is that? It's because you can't grow if you're not in relationship with God's people. You just can't. And God wants us to grow in our walk with him. God wants us to grow in his plan for our life and how he wants to use us in this community and around the nations. And you can't do that on your own. So I would encourage you this year, Maybe don't take as many vacations, or if you do, be here on Sundays, right? You don't have to go out of town 25 times a year. I'm being speaking hyperbole here, maybe, for some. But let's lean in, and let's make this church something awesome for our community. And thankfully, God is doing great things within us. I mean, every single Sunday, I meet a new family that, that visits here. It's amazing what God is doing. So thank you for that. But let's recommit ourselves to God and his people. But it all starts, obviously, with a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I know about some folks that God's brought to us in recent months. You're on the search. 
you're wondering, what is this Jesus thing all about? What is this Christian thing all about? Maybe you grew up in church, but you never come into relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're of a different faith altogether. And God has had you here, not by accident, but purposely, sovereignly leading you, just like he led Mary, just like he led Elizabeth, to a certain point in their lives where he changed their hearts and changed their direction. Maybe that's you and the greatest need in your life as you move into 2022 is not to say yes to a job promotion, yes to let's have a, an extended uh, child in our family or whatever that decision might be, but it's I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus or if you would like to pray with someone or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.